0: (laughs) Oh, hello,
1: creeps. You're just in time. My little Cryptmas party is
0: about to begin. I just love this time of year. There's nothing quite like it. Yuletide carols, sleigh bells, Jack Frost roasting on an open fire. Where was I? Oh, yes, Cryptmas... But we kick off the celebration with one of my favorite ghoul time ditties. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch Empowerment Through Shooting Guns. How you doing buddy pretty good um uh, uh, i'm feeling just snazzy right now i got the christmas cheer going on do you guys have your tree up uh we just pulled out of the box so it is uh <laughs> it is this mangled pile on the floor right now it's very festive that's nice i feel like there's a lot of christmas scrooges out
1: there that have really stuck to the idea that like christmas is only right if it is vertical and you can have a horizontal christmas
0: Peter, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I mean, I don't know if you've heard about this new thing. It's called a millennial Christmas, and we just, like, turn all the parts of Christmas that you're used to, just turn them on their head. You mean on their side? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> Got yeah. It. Your head happens you gotta, on your side, yeah. You gotta stick yeah, with yeah. the metaphor. But the, eventually, the tree will become vertical. Uh, eventually, we will decorate it. Been there. Um, yeah. We have a plastic tree. I don't know how many because... dates I've said that to. <laughs> we have a... We have a plastic tree because having a uh, real tree when you spend most of the holidays traveling between uh, multiple locations is a stupid fucking idea. Yeah, there's so no. Just come home and this thing is dead and hopefully didn't set your house on fire. Yeah, there's no reason
1: to have. Uh, like, I look, I had real trees when we were a kid. My dad was the type of dad that would say stuff like, over my dead body, are we ever going to have a fake tree? And then one year he just decided to get a fake tree just suddenly after 15 years of like putting his foot down and we they never had a real tree again. It's like, this is so much more convenient.
0: Why were we doing this uh, to ourselves? (laughs) Especially if you have storage, like you can literally pick up the tree and move it into the storeroom with everything on it and then pull it back out. Like you don't even have to set up the tree every year if you're really like feeling that lazy about it on top you know what else you can do because if you buy them after christmas they're like ten dollars
1: you could throw away your tree if you don't want to put it away every year and then just go to big lots like in january buy a new one
0: that's true wow
1: we haven't done that but you could do that light life, life hack
0: uh hack: go go throw away things (laughs) (laughs) the most depressing experience you could possibly go through just to save twenty dollars yeah or no you're not saving twenty dollars you are yeah you're putting you're saving cleanup time yeah exactly i just can't imagine going out uh and hunting for christmas stuff on like Mm -hmm. december 30th yeah that's pretty that's pretty depressing (laughs) yeah um the so this is actually our first year with
1: uh, our daughter uh, that we put a tree up um it the so this is her third this is her third christmas but yeah the first two years uh she was jehovah's witness did not celebrate um uh, but but we <laughs> converted her oh nice uh to not believing in anything but uh presents and so now she, she was fine with presents is a good god she was fine with it it's not your bear god but yeah. it it's still a pretty good – no, uh, you know, the f- the first year she was six months old and we had just moved into this house and it was like we're not – you know, we don't actually spend Christmas here. We do uh, Christmas Eve at my wife's mom's uh, house and then we drive back to my family's in North Dakota for Christmas Day. Uh, so it was like, what's the point? We're, we're still unpacking. This place is a mess. And then last year, she was at that perfect age where no fucking way you're putting out a tree that a kid can access because she could walk and was very mobile, but you couldn't have a conversation with her and had no self-control. So, like ornaments would have been eaten uh the tree would have been pulled down on top of her it would have been a very sad christmas where we had to drive to the hospital or something like that so it was like there is no point she's not going to remember this and this is just a hazard we are
0: putting out for our one-year-old so I, yeah That's so true and kids one-year-olds can't even form memories so it's just like uh do we want to just put a big big health risk in the middle of our uh, our living room? Well, actually, uh, last year, my parents' tree fell over, actually. So your weird uh, parentage uh, anxieties were totally well-founded. Well, founded. well they're, they're so easy. And, like, yeah,
1: kid. I can't believe, you know, my parents had so many kids. And they always had trees up. And they they probably weren't watching all of us. I don't know. I don't know what
0: was Maybe going on. Maybe they were on. a weird version of pro-life where, like, they believe that once you have, once the, definitely the conception a word happens, version. you should have the children. You aren't allowed to skip any of those steps. You have to. If you have sex and the you know the baby happens, you have to keep it the whole time. But you are allowed to throw traps to maybe murder a few of the babies along the way.
1: I got to tell you something. When if you and your girlfriend ever have a kid, uh, she is going to be thrilled to learn <laughs> that you describe uh, the having a child as then the baby happens <laughs> that's going to it's going to be a super hey i'm pregnant oh i see so this time we had sex and then the baby happens
0: <laughs> it's both appealing on a um in terms of like a scientific level and on a um you know romantic poetic level yeah and then the baby happens and then soon the baby will happen <laughs> imagine a scientist uh going through a paper He's just like, and then the sperm makes the baby happen. It's like a yada yada. Yada yeah. yada yada. <laughs> then the baby happens. <laughs> we put up a plastic tree because otherwise, uh, I love Christmas. I should. I should yeah. So actually, hold on. So the reason we're talking about Christmas
1: suddenly, once again, is because this is a new theme month and we are doing uh, Christmas horror movies. Uh, and our first one this episode is Krampus. Um, why are we doing Christmas horror movies? Because uh, our inclination naturally is to just... If you were to say, like, what are you doing in February? We'll probably go, like, Valentine's Day horror movies. Uh, because <laughs> our brains are wired in a weird, broken way. Uh, but no, we're going to we're do Christmas horror movies. But that is not, I don't think... Uh, because we are
0: anti-Christmas, I fucking love Christmas. The reason that a lot of Christmas horror movies exist uh, is because they sort of act as a uh, countercultural measure to like the joyfulness of Christmas, and a lot of them sort of seek to undermine the the giddiness of Christmas. They have like Santa as a murderer that's breaking into your house. Like they take a lot of. The imagery that feels safe or the the iconography that feels safe. And then they're inverting it uh, to sort of tease the holiday, which for a lot of uh, horror movies are primarily made by outsiders and outsiders uh, aren't necess- don't necessarily jive with the, uh, you know, consumerist ideas of, of Christmas and such and such. I love Christmas both in it's like sincere surface level stuff. Like I love the idea of like lying to kids and telling them that Santa exists. Uh, but I also love like subversive stuff that's teasing the holiday. So I, I thought Christmas horror was a, a good uh, way to broach our sort of feelings on Christmas because we're getting a bit of both. It's not just going to be all uh Peace, love, and joy for, for four weeks. So
1: Yeah, it's also fun because uh, the movie we're doing today, Krampus, is the only one of these I've seen. I had heard so many mixed things about uh, Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night. I don't know. I just never, I never got around to them, which we're doing later this month. And then New Year's Evil, I'd basically never heard of. So I'm kind of excited to have a month
0: where there's three movies I haven't seen. This month, I've seen... Uh, two out of the four so i'm a big fan of silent night deadly night and i'm a big fan of black christmas um but i have not seen krampus and i have not seen new year's evil so we should have a good a good mix this month in terms of experiences yeah. or we won't or we won't <laughs> These, we might all have negative experiences across the board yeah this um, could all
1: this could turn into a month of mother's days
0: <laughs> <We've>, there's <laughs> got to be another mother's day in our future right yeah, we're going to watch the remake. <laughs> we're not going to watch the remake, guys. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I was watching, I was reading some piece on like Badass Digest or something that name-dropped the remake of Mother's Day as, as being a good thing, and I was like, mm, can't buy it. No. We may watch the uh, Gary Marshall movie, though. Yeah. You never know. That'd be like if someone was talking about... That'd be like if you were uh, on Airbnb, and they were talking about like a, a cute little vacation home, and they're like... It's made from turds But listen, it's a really great vacation home But it, don't worry, it's made of turds Like, I don't see how you could make anything good Out of the original Mother's Day Unless you just completely abandon it wholesale I gotta tell you, Even if the house is made of turds It feels like The person writing that Could've sold it better It's a, it's a disclosure thing it's, They legally have to tell you if a house is made of Human feces or, do they yeah, have to say, for that matter? Do they have to say turds? Yeah, yeah. Supreme Court ruling. Um, That's what happens. Was, you get eight justices. Just things go pretty bonkers. Yeah, it was um, Brown versus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was, want. You, hold on. Brown
1: versus. I know you're movie. edit. I know. I know you're editing this week. I want you to leave. How long it took you to get around after you said brown. Uh, <laughs> just, Can do. Just to make it clear where we're at uh, on a maturity scale. Um. <laughs> I definitely felt that way. I kind of told this story somewhere when my wife and I were talking about what, because we don't do the surprise Christmas presents really anymore. It's more like, hey, this is our chance to request things that, you know, we we buy stuff that we want, but, you know, anything over a couple hundred dollars usually gets into the, let's save those for some sort of occasion. Uh, And so my wife uh, bought a um, smart thermostat that – she can control uh, from her phone and do all this really cool stuff. Uh, why does she want to do that? Because she wants to... It'll it'll significantly cut down on our heating and our cooling bill. Uh, so, very adult, mature thing. I want to get a used video game system that I don't need, uh, a PS3, so I can play one video game. Uh, even though I have literally dozens of video games that I've purchased and not got a chance to play yet... Uh, but there's one I really want to play, and like a child, cannot wait to play it. So I'm uh, buying an entire video game system to play Demon Souls, uh, and you know, and we're <laughs>
0: and we're both uh, uh, technically adults. Technically, yeah. You pass the pass the bar. Um, you know, adulthood is measured in different ways. Um, in some people, it's sort of a a time to put away childish things and to worry about, you know, your future. And even if it's in small, incredibly boring incremental ways, like maybe, I don't know, a smart thermostat. (laughs) And, uh, and in other ways, it's about embracing, uh, your inner man, baby and, uh, doubling down all the stuff I wanted as a kid. Like, now I can actually afford all that stuff.
1: So yeah. I found, especially when I was single, I found myself constantly like, I'm going to buy those Ghostbuster toys off of eBay. Um, and I'm going to, you know, buy the complete Calvin and Hobbes collection. And I guess that's good for adults, too. But it's the kind of the same mantra where. Uh, I can see why people really regress to a certain age just because it's like, well, now I can actually buy all the Legos.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I totally get why adults get into Legos because uh, last, uh, last Christmas, I actually... We were looking for things to do while we would drink and uh, me and my brother-in-law just broke open our big buckets of Legos. And uh, from when I was a kid... And there's like a sort of childhood joy that comes in that, but I'm wondering how long it lasts. Like, if I actually brought them back to my house, would I would I be able to enjoy them? You'd probably start stepping on them. Yeah, would be this is, that's the thing that happens. Lego <laughs> Lego This is, Lego this mind is, this is a hot comedy. Yep, this that
1: is, is a hot. thing that happens sometimes. <laughs> <to> people <laughs> they step on Legos. People have said that before, I think I've heard. That's, I've heard them say that. That's
0: less That's less. yes and the, as much as yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there's there's yes and, and then there's yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> How do you feel about airplane food? <laughs> oh. Oh. So we wanted to, for our opening segment, instead of playing a game, uh, we just kind of want to talk about... Uh, yeah, we like Christmas. What What are some of your Christmas traditions? What are th- or your favorite thing to do around the holiday season? And then I have something I want to talk about in relation to uh, Christmas movies in general. So, Peter, what are your favorite Christmas traditions?
0: Yeah, my family is pretty pretty uh, traditional in terms of Christmas. You go to mass. Is it Christmas worth sharing then? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll get to something worth sharing. Okay. But, like, specifically Christmas-related stuff, my brother and I are really obsessed with finding old Christmas specials. So, like, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we're just, like, sharing random Christmas specials that we found with each other. Um, Like, last year we watched the ALF Christmas special, which sounds innocuous and boring, right? That's actually, like, the Full House one is innocuous and boring. The ALF Christmas special one is the most bleak, nihilistic thing I've ever seen on television. It's, like just wall to wall cancer and suicide and it's it's really really horrific. These little these little surprises you're like why the fuck did you ever put this on TV? Who who was writing this? What was this guy going through when he wrote this? So
1: have you seen Permanent Midnight? No. That's you should watch Permanent Midnight. Because no, I don't know if if it, the guy featured in that movie wrote the specifically the Elf Christmas special. But uh it is something else. Uh, what this? What one of the main writers from Alf was like,
0: played by Ben Stiller. Don't worry, Owen Wilson is in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried the Alf Christmas special is like the bleakest thing you'll ever see. But that's our newest, our newest Christmas tradition that I'm really, really into. Every year, I personally um, have been going to. Uh, Therapy, my girlfriend's put my therapy <laughs> all day from like nine a.m. till um, whenever I stop crying. So theoretically, I'm in bed by midnight. Uh, every year we've been, I've been going with my girlfriend up to Michigan to visit her family, uh, which is fun. Like it's everyone's super nice to me because I'm the new guy. Um, yeah, haven't you guys but, been dating for like five years? Yeah, maybe they just like me. Oh yeah, um, by
1: now I think you, I think you, the new guy
0: shine has worn off. You can just say they like you yeah it's possible um but the but then on christmas morning we drive back from there to uh to illinois where my uh my parents live and it's my whole family there's a million of us not com- not many compared to the two million in the armstrong family but uh yeah uh it's, yeah we it's, we it's we, fun. we have to
1: rent out bulgaria <laughs>
0: like how What do you even do for Christmas with all those fucking people In your family I have four siblings You know sorry I have three siblings And (laughs) each of us have Wait a sec You got the number of siblings you have wrong Uh, (laughs) I have
1: three siblings Was someone? Wait hold on You can't just keep going Was someone (laughs) excommunicated from the family That you don't talk about anymore
0: Well yeah I especially won't talk about it On a podcast listened to By hundreds of people because there's either, the, the two options are, A,
1: there is another sibling that you have, you guys just don't talk about anymore,
0: or B, you counted yourself as one of your own siblings. <laughs> I'm my own grandpa, I'm my own sibling. Okay. I don't see how this, these numbers don't make sense. We actually had another sibling, his name was Louis. Um, He was uh, sort of a, what do you call that, a rejected twin of mine? Oh, okay. And we locked him, well, I, not not we. I specifically. I didn't play any part. Oh. <laughs> he still holds a grudge against me, I think. But um, we locked him up in the, the attic and then went on a, like a family trip and we forgot to feed him before we left. He ended up gnawing his way through about, you know, four inches of insulation and a bunch of um, shingles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's on the loose. He keeps killing family pets, but he hasn't like moved past the first stage of intimidation. Um, How do you know he still still holds a grudge against you if you haven't talked to him in a while? uh, He leaves like pretty, pretty well written notes uh, on the dead cats and dead dogs. So it's like, it's Louie. I'm very (laughs) upset with you guys. Not cool. Yeah. But it's been about six years now and he hasn't moved past stage one. Uh, He's still just just sending us dead animals. Um, he hasn't tried to frame any of us for murder yet as far as I know and he hasn't tried to directly murder any of us
1: I gotta so. tell you this Louis guy sounds like a real loser <laughs>
0: yeah he's a real louiser <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so what else do you guys do for Christmas <laughs> really really boring traditional Christmas but I like I'm, I like my family I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty close to my family that's probably the reason that I like Christmas stuff so much I never had a reason to get uh, uh, you know, sour on the idea of, of Christmas, but um, I'm very, I've considered myself very lucky in that in that way. Um,
1: yeah, I'm, uh, I'd say I'm pretty lucky too. You know, we joke about how big my family is. I don't think we've ever said on this podcast that I'm the oldest of ten kids. Not that I have ten brothers and sisters. I have nine. Um, <laughs> because I understand uh, that I am not part of the siblings when I count them uh yeah we get it i did the math wrong Aaron. we can move on now that's not math i'm still i'm still completely <laughs> we're not gonna be able to move past that ever
0: um uh, anyway it's no longer the krampus episode this is uh this is the peter basic math episode. peter
1: why you've you've had 25 years to practice that's like the first number you learn uh and you're the youngest that number never changed my number changed like every two to three years
0: Yeah, that's true. They couldn't, your family just couldn't stop popping them out. They could
1: not stop popping them out. My parents love to fuck, is what I'm Um, (laughs) saying. And they hate comments. Hate them. Hate them. And when when they're like, we are done fucking, they adopted too. (laughs) They're like, look, I don't like you. You don't like me. That doesn't mean we're not going to continue
0: to meet our annual, biannual kid quota. God, it's like they were, they were trying to prove to themselves that they still liked having kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or they just got bored. They kept getting white ones. They're like, <laughs> let's adopt
1: a couple from a different country. Um, so anyway, we always had a pretty pretty standard Christmas. And yeah, I get along with most of my family. I mean, I get along with all of them, but there's definitely, you know, when you have that many siblings, there's like someone has a fight or someone's having some problems. But, you know, we're very we're the Irish Catholic family, so everyone kind of gets together. There'll be some random yelling fits every Christmas. Uh, someone will drink too much. Uh, it's, it's kind of the standard stuff, but we always have a lot of fun. And thankfully, a few years ago, they decided to go to a secret Santa system so that... You were not responsible to buy gifts for every single person in the family.
0: Our family is now reaching those levels because everybody's having kids. Yeah, it was fucking madness when you're like, I gotta get twelve
1: presents just just for you people.
0: That yeah, that is even if you you're buying like l- just little things for everybody. That's a lot of thought to put into shit. Like, how do you not just buy like you're like, and uh, six of you get a copy of Time Cop? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the same copy You all yeah. live in Bismarck Just borrow it How often are you watching Time Cop? I will give you also a notepad So you can keep track of who has uh, the, the copy who, of Time Who cop has the time, time Cop You also need a second notebook To keep track of the original notebook On where the Time Cop copy is the, Yeah, you need a notebook tracker Yeah um, which The notebook tracker should probably stay in one place, right?
1: Yeah, definitely at my parents' house Right by where the cordless phone used to be Uh, I actually know a Christmas tradition that we've done in the last 10 years Which uh, is So every So my parents have a big basement And there's a ping pong table down there So it's rare that all of us are together And me and uh, My brothers that are close in age To me, uh, Tyler, Jake, Luke Who are the four oldest uh, Boys with myself um, We Like to play beer pong And my parents have a ping pong table and they have specifically told us, uh, for the last 10 years, we are absolutely not allowed to play beer pong on their ping pong table in the basement. Uh, so our Christmas tradition is every year, uh, not to spite them. I want to be very clear. This is not like a, um, I don't care what you say, but also when are we all together to play beer pong? (laughs) So every year. We uh, play a game where we wait till they go to bed and then we play beer pong. And then we're like, this year, guys, we're going to clean up everything so they don't know that we played beer pong. And then every year, uh, we all get way too drunk and don't do that. <laughs> uh, so then we have the after Christmas tradition of uh, fighting with our parents. Who are angry, rightfully so. I'm not like they're they're in the right here, right? But fighting with us that we have asked you not to do this. Why don't you respect our household? So that is my family's Christmas tradition.
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah, and I know. And if my parents uh, were on a similar level, and I'd be like, I'm over thirty. Like this. If I wanna play beer pong somewhere, I'm playing beer pong somewhere. Yeah, I get
1: at your house, but we will clean it up eventually. You're just unhappy that it's not gonna be right. Sense. So yeah, so they really they don't drink. Um and it, it's this is about three years ago. My parents were actually out of town two days before Christmas on the weekend before we were back. Uh I was thirty. And uh, my brother Luke was 28, and then my other brothers were what 26 and 24. You can just kind of do the math down like that. And we threw a party at my parents' house because our <laughs> parents were out of town. That's awesome. Yeah. How do they feel about that? They I mean, there's a lot of eye rolls. There's a lot of like, why are you guys like this? Uh, but it's 100 <laughs> their their fault. They raised us.
0: Uh, they own. They own all of this. Yeah, that's true. I mean, every every weird thing. That's the fun thing about being a parent is that every weird thing that goes wrong with your child, you could just trace back to some horrible, horrible mistake you made. Yeah. I can't wait to be a parent. It's kind of.
1: It is. It sucks, but it's like that weird thing where it's. Well, this is the house that we stay at when we come back, and we get it. You guys are older, and you still have younger kids in the house because my youngest brother is fourteen. I should say. Oh, yeah. Um. But also hey where we want to do fun things too that maybe you don't want to do I I don't know how else to accomplish that because nobody else lives here
0: <laughs> So This is like a weird monkey's paw where like they they you guys were all getting older and moving away and then they were like I just hope that they still talk to each other when they're older, and they all don't all just you know go to the wind and yeah. and never speak again. And this is a weird monkey's paw thing where they every Christmas they come home and and are too close and wish to use that closeness to trash their house. Yeah, yeah, they
1: they're like, maybe could you guys fight? You know, Aaron a little bit. Jacob said some really negative things about your wife. <laughs> Care to comment? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, That's a fun thing, though, too. Um, This hasn't happened at Christmas yet. It did happen once where your wife is such a part of the family that she will have conflicts with your siblings. 100% my siblings fault, I should say. Like, I'm not going to say which brother, but one brother was a huge dick to her at one point because he was in a bad mood or something, which is it was like a sibling thing. Like, you just in a bad mood. You take it on someone in my family. Like, you apologize 10 minutes later. But it was like this whole big thing. It's like so that's a whole new weird thing to navigate too. Where like your your wife is almost too much a part of the family. Yeah, we're like she's no longer in the safe zone. Yeah, no one no one's like just like okay, hello guest to our house. <laughs> like she's you know she's part of Secret Santa. She has her own gift. Like that someone gets her and all that stuff. Like it's uh, so that's that's a different thing to navigate. Like I'm I'm glad it's that way. But it is yeah. it is weird when you're like uh, your wife and your brother are fighting,
0: <laughs> like like yeah. brother and sister. I think I'll know that I'm really part of my girlfriend's family when um, her her sister finds they look you in the arbitrary eye, arbitrary to yell at me about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah. I but uh, so far I've gotten along with every member of her family really really well. I'm still in the I, th- I think I'm still in the golden boy stage. But anyway. Uh, so the, the one thing I want to do and then we're gonna start talking about Krampus
1: is as I mentioned I really love Christmas Peter I know you love Christmas I have said before that I like some Christmas movies that are somewhat suspect uh not like Ernest saves Christmas which I've never seen so I guess I don't know or like the it's terrible huge amount of like um I don't know the lifetime type. Christmas wish and all that stuff like <laughs> Christmas with a capital C like I'm not saying that if it has a Christmas theme attached to it that I'm definitely going to like it but there, there's like some Christmas movies that for the most part I feel like don't get any pushback like if you say you like Christmas vacation or Christmas story or it's a wonderful life or uh, stuff like that it's like yeah those are just good movies and then I feel like there's this like A pretty big subset of Christmas movies that some people really love them but in film circles they're kind of considered shitty. I kind of wanted to bring up those movies, Peter, and just get a sense of these are all movies I absolutely love and just get a sense if uh, where you stand on them, if you've seen them, uh, if you like them as much as me or if uh, you are also a shitty uh, film snob. Uh, I'm going to start with probably the one or two that are Most likely to be considered, yeah, everyone likes that movie. And then move on to some that get a lot of shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you understand the rules of this not game? Yeah. Okay. Uh, If you agree with me, that's a point. (laughs) If you disagree with me, I'm going to turn off the microphone and go home. Aren't you already home? I'm going to go to a different room in my house.
0: Are we going to record from
1: there? Yeah. Better connection. Oh, so the one that is probably most likely for you to go, yes, I love it, is Elf.
0: Yeah, I love, I love Elf. Yeah, is that one not re- not well respected uh, among uh, filmies? I f- I feel like it's. I feel like a lot of
1: people love it, but then there's this weird backlash of like Will Ferrell's terrible, and it's you know loved too much by the masses for. Like I said, I I feel like that one is is the least contentious of my choices but I figured I'd include it
0: yeah I love Will Ferrell um, more so because of uh, Step Brothers and his SNL work than necessarily like Elf was a byproduct of me loving Will Ferrell not a uh, not the reason that I love Will Ferrell right like um, but I I think it's a really charmingly sweet movie I think it's uh, John Favreau knows how to structure a movie and he knows how to structure emotional payoff and I, I think Elf is a really really tremendous movie I don't really have any problems with it in particular it also has my favorite version of baby's cold outside yeah it's it's uh one of the few versions that's not um amazingly creepy I think if I'm not mistaken on the she and him Christmas album She reverses the genders of that song, which makes it also a lot less creepy. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel and Mm -hmm. M. Ward. I'm pretty sure it's gender reversed in that.
1: Uh, Yeah, she just... I think that was the first time I ever... Because I saw it when it came out, 2003. I think that was the first time I ever noticed uh, Zoe Deschanel. And I was like, oh, lovely singing voice. Very funny. Like, they're... uh, I think it's both, like, family-friendly. It never dips into, like... Hey, we need to add sex jokes into this. Like it, it, it manages to be both a legitimately like fun for the whole family and still be legitimately funny. Uh, and it has a really actual sweet romance, I think, and not uh not a weird cloying one, which are very
0: common in most Hollywood movies, let alone uh, Christmas movies. Will Ferrell is one of those people that's been produced out of SNL, um, or you know just went through SNL, whichever way you think about it. Uh, sort of like Kate McKinnon where just no matter what they do in a scene I'm on board like i, I just effortlessly funny people yep. like i was watching ghostbusters and i gave that movie so many more points than it probably deserved, just because Kate McKinnon naturally makes me laugh no matter what she's doing. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I love the new
0: Ghostbusters quite a bit.
1: Actually, you know who does that to me very
0: easily? Like, Melissa McCarthy. Um, Oh, yeah. She's really effortless.
1: She's very effortless to the point that stuff like the Chinese food runner in that movie is hilarious to me, and it's only because of her delivery. Like, I, I agree with people that go, that's a really dumb joke, like that's like a skit joke that you've included for no reason into this big budget comedy it's one of the funniest things in that movie to me it gets me every time when at the end especially she's like okay i just want a normal amount of wontons like she's so effortless at the way that she does stuff um yeah she's fantastic having said that i've never bothered to watch mike and molly because why would you do that to yourself
0: yeah that show sucks she's amazing in spy as well she has a lot of lines where she's the straight man against i mean that's part of the, the appeal of that movie is that she's not yeah. necessarily the goofball in every scene but she's uh, the straight man in a lot of moments and she is so effortlessly funny and yep and, and that's just like the way she delivers really flat line readings like you could tell her and paul feig had to like work over how to make that line as simple as possible um, because that's when she hits hardest. Yep. So we'll go with Love Actually. That was a movie I hated growing up because my parents were obsessed with it, and now is I your parents
1: is nice. Chris Matthews from? <laughs> <Hardball>? <laughs>
0: my, my dad is obsessed with that. That Chris Matthews is obsessed with Love Actually, <laughs> and I said, I said, if I were Chris, my if I were Chris Matthews, I would just be constantly playing like RoboCop and Starship yeah. Troopers clips, and just trying to find a way to make the election apply to RoboCop. Um, um, I don't
1: think that would be that hard. Yeah, <laughs> oh, not at all, honest. especially not Starship Troopers now. Uh, you no, know, uh, I think I think Paul Vorhoeven movies would
0: work seamlessly into our new reality. Oh, yeah. It's is it because he grew up during Nazi Germany? Uh, could be. I think that there's some amazing segments in it, but I would probably cut like the British dude going to America and meeting all the supermodels. Yeah, that bit is like slightly funny, but then it just kind of adds on like. Oh, and then he has sex with the supermodels. It's like not really that funny. I would. I've everybody has problems with the uh, with the one with Alan Rickman, right? Where he's just like a cheating asshole husband. Like it's just not all that satisfying when it's over. Yeah, because there was almost like this mini
1: genre that shot up because of Love Actually. Like that's what all those Mother's Day, New Year's Eve days and stuff. Like let's do this. Let's just keep making movies with these big big ensembles of. Uh, you know, marquee names and, uh, and make these romantic comedies out of them. And I haven't seen any of the other ones, but from everything I've heard, they are huge pieces of garbage. So
0: yeah, it's sort of a a scary movie thing where scary movies actually pretty good, Mm. but everything that came out of it was so horrible that now people just reject even the first scary movie. Sort of like that. I think, I think what love actually wrought was so horrible that we all just we all just ran screaming from the original, and I think I think it's fine. It's not like that offensive to me. It's heartwarming. It's got some really good jokes in it. I, I think it's. Oh, I would cut I would cut the segment with Keira Knightley getting seduced by um, Andrew Lincoln. I'd make it twice as long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's the one where she's she's married to uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and she's. Um, and then Andrew Lincoln's his, be- his best friend, and he's trying to seduce him, and the movie's playing it like it's not a totally disgusting, weird thing to do.
1: Yeah. It has been a few years since I saw it. So um, I don't remember all the specifics as much as just knowing, like, oh, I really liked that when it was over. So maybe it won't hold up as much uh, on a rewatch at some point. I do own it. I've been meaning
0: to rewatch it. I think if it, I think as is, it's okay if you cut, like, two or three segments or replace them with something better. It would, it would be in the good to great category uh yeah that's true of all movies that are (laughs) i I just mean it's so easy to see the lines like i love
1: (laughs) it's episodic so yeah i get
0: it yeah it's (laughs) like it's like an anthology movie like you can tell when the shitty the duds are there because they're clearly defined yeah uh all right so we'll go home alone one and two i think home alone is actually great like i've read the backlash to plenty of bombs that i like probably plenty of bombs that we've done for the show but uh i've read the backlash to them and been like okay like with the revenant like i see where people are coming from when they say they hate the revenant and uh i don't love it i like it but with home alone every time i've read some review of it i'm always just like uh the they like anti-john hughes backlash is just getting so tiresome like Uh, so here's my big frustration with the
1: backlash it's fine I get it. I saw though I saw Home Alone and Home Alone 2 hundred literally hundreds of times as a kid. So I watch them as adults. I get the same amount of joy out of them. Is that nostalgia? Who knows? So fine if you don't like it. But I swear to fucking god, I cannot hear another person say, I just can't believe how cruel it was to these people. Like, I can't watch someone go through that much body horror and that much injury and think it's funny. It's like, you know what? Oh, my God. Like, can you watch a Looney Tune cartoon? Like, that's what it is. That is the most frustrating criticism of those movies because it is foisting... It's it's basically taking them from the genre that they're in and trying to put them in a different genre where it would be like a torture porn movie. Like, it's not. It is... Violent slapstick Like a Looney Tunes movie Like At no point are they in danger At no point do they ever Show any more injury Than Ow that hurt Like That's fine if you don't enjoy it But you The whole thing of like Being like Weirdly offended
0: Is so Frustrating it's it's tiresome to me i totally respect if you don't like home alone but i've never read anything that holds water for me <laughs> which i read i read about stuff that i love all the time like i totally get why people would hate like i don't know dread or they think that like the raid movies are flawed or something like that's just off the top of my head because um, those are reviews i just read like i i don't necessarily agree with them but i can see where they're coming from yeah with every home alone backlash piece i've just been like you're trying so hard trying so so hard you don't you don't have to like every movie but you don't have to see like this is an outrage you know what's the fun part about reading a review that changes your mind about something it's just it's it's like watching dominoes fall over you're just like you can't help it like in your mind it's just going like do you like home alone too no not that much i mean I, i like it like in terms of like it's watchable but it's 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 the definition of kind of a cheap rehash of the first one, and it helped uh, establish Trump as a as a legitimate figure. So it's it's losing like eighteen stars for that. I don't think I don't think um, it helped establish I, Trump as a I'm legitimate.
1: Just, I'm just, figure. Being, an, just okay. being an asshole. Okay, well, <laughs> like, you know, right um, now I don't know what people believe about that because I've seen so much. Trump was in Home Alone too, so.
0: I, uh, I, I, I will watch it probably every year. See, it's, I, it's okay. I like it. It's, Tim it's-
1: Curry is really funny. And, um, I, you know, the,
0: the creative new
1: traps I thought were good. Um, I, I, it's not as good as the original. Um, and it definitely is like a, you know, nineties where let's just make the same movie, but different, uh, instead of like adding to a mythology, which why would you do that? But I, I think it's like. If I was to say that, like, Home Alone is a four star movie, I'd probably give
0: number two, three and a half. Like, it's it's in that ballpark in my estimation. Uh, I think its biggest weakness is that Macaulay Culkin clearly grew up a little bit too much between the two movies. And he's starting to put on, like, the fake. He, I'm sure it was fake in the first one, obviously. It's, it's more effortless in the first one. Like, you can't tell that he's acting or he's not, like, self-aware. By Home Alone 2, he is becoming self-aware. And it's just like a dangerous, a dangerous slide down, and and so like the central figure of the movie, like there's some moments where he's really funny, but like the central figure of the movie is just not as charming anymore. Um, All right. Which I would do a half lose a point. A lot of points, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I take like a star and a half for okay. that. I, but I love Tim Curry and stuff in it, obviously. Yeah, uh,
1: the Santa Claus one and two.
0: Um, I really like the first one. Two and three are like I've never seen three. Um, i've seen two or three I, they're so so weird because they just like blow up the concept so wide and just adopt all this other shit to this like expanded uni- universe that's like kind of overwhelming at times but like i don't know i don't i'm not like offended by them they, they just feel like they're kids movies that are mostly for kids spot, I yeah i
1: have a huge spot soft spot for tim allen i don't know why um But so, I really like the first one. The second one didn't come out till 2002. So, I was 19 and I was dying in the theater at it. Like, and I watch it every other year. I think the second one is actually really good. I've never seen the third one, I've heard horrible things about it. But the second one has a lot of funny concepts. It's got a good uh, romantic foil for Tim Allen in. Elizabeth Mitchell and has a lot of like
0: sweet Christmas stuff in it too. Like I love the first one. Like I think the first one's really heartwarming and it's really sweet and like I just like cer- just certain aspects of it really um warm to me. Uh two when I saw two, I remember thinking like, okay, this is starting to I'm starting to age out of this this age group. Um but I'll have to revisit two and three this year to see if I think you should revisit two because it's
1: and I also understand that like Those movies came out at the perfect time for me, which was... The first one came out when I was 11, which... Fucking perfect. And then the second one came out when I was 19. So I was kind of over the phase where stuff had to be a certain level of cool for me to appreciate it. Like that high school, junior high phase. So I think you should give the second one another shot. If you haven't
0: seen it in a while. I spend so much time with my family in the next month because I live, you know, like... 45 minutes away from my parents' house that I, I'm sure I will catch all of these. We'll go with, it's a very merry Muppet Christmas movie. Do you remind me which one that is? Is that the one where they're like on the road and shit? Uh, or is this the one with Joan Cusack? Oh, I don't think Joan, maybe Joan
1: Cusack is it? Isn't it. So this is from 2002. It was after they, their last uh, theatrical experience was Muppets from space and didn't do very well. And this was kind of their attempt to bring them back. But, they couldn't do a theatrical release so they did a tv
0: so it had like zach braff is like the celebrities and stuff like that i don't think i've seen this one in a long time i mean i love everything muppet so i would give this one probably a thumbs up yeah it's pretty good
1: it's not muppet christmas
0: carol like this is a bonafide classic but uh muppet christmas carol is is like burned into my brain that's that's like uh that's one of those movies that nostalgia perfectly gels with like my modern sensibilities. Yep, like I, I think it's my favorite version of Christmas Carol. I, I think it's my favorite. I agree, hundred uh, percent. I would say I think Scrooge it's my favorite Muppet
1: movie. Scrooge with uh, Albert Finney is my
0: second favorite. Um, Scrooge is pretty close because I'm, Scrooge I'm is a really big good Scrooge too. fan. Yeah, I like Scrooge too. I
1: almost include that on this list because I've I've always heard that like that got mixed reviews when it came out, but I I feel like too many people like it. Um, but I I love
0: Scrooge. Uh, all right. We'll go. We're, 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 we're going down to the wire here. Uh, the Family Man. Um, I liked The Family Man when I saw it when I was a kid, but I haven't seen it in a decade. So. Hmm. Um, Great. Uh, generally positive. I think that the theme we're getting here is generally positive. Generally positive. Even, um, even the ones that I admit there are flaws is generally
1: positive. Yeah, I didn't oh. see The Family Man until I was like 27 and really liked it. Um, so the last two are the most contentious, and I see so much ire towards them. Um, one I already know that you like, which is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, not the classic nineteen sixty six uh, television special, which I think probably both of us would admit is fantastic and better. Uh, but the two thousand Ron
0: Howard version. I think you and I are, are strange beasts for liking movie. I there's there's some nostalgia I get from like kids and stuff, but not a lot of people our age. Um, loving this movie as much. Well, yeah, and it came out when I was
1: 17, so... Um, and I liked it when I saw it. I should say, I just rewatched it, because uh, my child uh, watched the Grinch special, the uh, the TV special, and then uh, has been reading the book, so I'm like, oh, I'll show her this version, and she fucking loved it. Uh, it I hadn't seen it in about 10 years. I will say, while I still really liked it, uh, the thing that does not hold up for me personally is Jim Carrey's uh, performance; is terrible. Oh, really? It's really bad. It's um, it's he is riddling around so fucking much. Uh, it uh, he's got a few moments where he like calms down or says a really good delivery, but there are moments where it's you don't need to be this manic in every fucking scene, like. Even when he's, like, cutting the roast beef at the end, he's like, I I, I can't stop mugging. Um, I still like the aesthetic, uh, which is basically, like, 60s Batman villain aesthetic, but I do like it quite a bit. Uh, I like some of the other performances. I actually thought if you're going to expand a, uh, you know, 10-minute book, 5-minute book into a full story, uh, I liked the way that they decided to do it in this. But, yeah, Jim Carrey's performance is not great, I got to tell you.
0: I feel like if you don't like Jim Carrey, you don't like the movie.
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to disagree with you because I like
0: the movie, <laughs> but I feel like he's so, he's so, um, broad and he, he sucks up all the air in the movie. So if like, you don't like him, you don't like the movie. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you that, uh, you don't like the movie, but it's just a very, um, it's a strange, strange line to draw for me because I, I remember the last time I watched it. When's the last Jim time Carrey you watched really it? A year or two ago. Oh, okay. Recently. Um, I remember finding Jim Carrey really really funny. I will totally agree that there are moments where he's he could just play it, like, fl- like not flat, but <laughs> he could play it Jim Carrey flat. Yeah,
1: tone it down it would... a little bit. That's what yeah. I'm saying. He works in some spots, and in other spots it actually feels like, okay, if Jim Carrey had made this today, I think he would have been better at it. And it's not like Jim Carrey's been releasing a lot of good movies. I don't think he feels the same pressure anymore to always be doing something that's like interesting in the frame if that makes sense
0: yeah i mean like the ace ventura sequel was him not figuring out how to handle yeah his manic energy that's why it's like the most obnoxious fucking movie in the entire world like it's got some really funny bits to it but it is the most obnoxious fucking movie and, and i could see that just poisoning the well for other people yeah like i th- I agree with you that the be- jim carrey's at his best in the movie when he's just sort of doing like comic line readings. Yeah. Like the scene where he's the scenes where he's hanging out in his his lair. Super funny. They're really really funny. And I and I think like the Yeah, like like when
1: he's trying to be Ron Howard and uh yeah, and there's some few bits even like when he's showing a little bit of his softer side and there's a line that still gets me every time where um he's on the sled that's rocketing down and says something like uh, I think I'm going to throw up and then die, which is a really good line uh, yeah. because it escalates in a way you're not expecting and it's delivered perfectly. Like, uh, so there is some good stuff, but yeah, he, he just, you know, what he kind of reminds me of at moments in this movie it's a random tangent is there's those moments in like Conan, I don't know if you ever saw Conan O'Brien can't stop where his like desire to entertain takes on a very like sad energy like it's it's very easy to go from funny energy to sad energy when you're kind of always trying to get those laughs in the room um and I feel like there are moments in that movie where he goes to like okay this is more depressing like why do you feel like you need to do this
0: much right now yeah he's bad at he's always been mad, bad at modulating um that's why I like he does something like the number 23 and he refuses to make it anything but grim and awful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I, I uh, I'll, I'll rewatch it this year and get back to you. But I the stuff that really bothers people doesn't bother me. Like I, I agree that conceptually, like we don't need a prequel to The Grinch to tell it tell his origin story. But within the context of the movie, I really like that arc. Um, I really like the the uh, young Grinch, not the baby Grinch. That thing is terrifying. Um, <laughs> the The young Grinch story, where he's like shaving to try and impress the girl, And yeah. what, all that shit. Um,
1: I feel like that was another one that people were just offended that it existed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all
0: right, like last one, Polar Express. This one is like, this this one is t- truly horrifying. The I'm, CGI I, bothers me so much. I'm alone? I think so. Okay. Um, how many points did I lose on that?
1: Um, well, I said if you disagreed with me, then it's minus 10 points, and I only asked for 10 movies, so... <laughs> Whoops. Look, looks like you're at a cool negative
0: zero. <laughs> uh, oh, the negative zero.
1: Yeah, an imaginary number. Uh, yeah, I and I didn't see this till. 2006 so i was like 23 and i was like i still remember watching it like this is the magic of christmas um i watched it uh time since then and really liked it too um i'm I'm actually planning to watch it again uh this year because i bought the blu-ray i'm gonna watch it on my
0: blu-ray i'm gonna watch it
1: on my big fucking tv (laughs) and uh just just have the spirit of christmas wash over me (laughs) it's just so weird to me because like i don't like any of the songs in it you weren't impressed at all with the whole like north pole sequence at the end I,
0: i don't know i don't think so okay i think i was still just so distracted by how strange the people look and i agree it's a good experiment you know sort of like mars needs moms um, it was a good experiment to see what we could do with that technology, but like Monster House struck me as like a nice modulation of what that technology could be because it was like it knew where to draw the line at like lifelike versus cartoonish. Um, uh, yeah, I, Monster House strikes me as, as the real good application of, of that, that Robert Zemeckis technology. Yeah, um, I don't even really care that much about the technology. It just... It warms the cockles of your
1: heart. Yeah, the story itself works for me really well. So, I'm not going to say that, like, yeah, Tom Hanks looks weird, and the kid looks a little weird, but that's not enough to distract me from all of the non-people-related CGI sequences, which I think are really lovely, and a story that's, like, a perfect,
0: like, magical Christmas story. It just doesn't work for me, and I, I... Very similar movies have worked for me in the past, like movies that entire its entire purpose is isn't Christmas magical and you should believe in Christmas. Like I'm fine with movies. That's entire point is, hey, Christmas means something, because as I get older, it actually does. It's changed like it, but it's actually way more important to me as I get older, because it's it's like a sort of optimism. It's like a holiday Yeah, it's like a holiday. It's like an (laughs) optimism fountain when you get older. Like, it's an excuse for one month of the year to sort of be, like, idiotically optimistic and see if that can sort of, like, wash over other people. And listen to
1: dumb songs and watch a movie. Like, it it almost feels like a treasure trove, because... I'm not the type of person who is watching Muppet Christmas Carol in July. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually really stupid that I don't do that if it's a movie I like watching. But it feels like, in the same way that we sometimes save a lot of horror movies for October, it's just a fun way to kind of. I don't know. Like, I suppose I was going to say deny pleasure to yourself, but that sounds much more uh, masochistic than I meant it. But it's like. You know, it's it gives you it, it's an imaginary restriction, but it gives you something to look forward to.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I and if you believe in any traditions, you uh, you shouldn't be too critical of the idea of um, people having a time of year where they like they might be more willing to go to a soup kitchen or, you know, donate to Toys for Tots or like just generally be nicer to people, like give people a little bit extra a little bit extra leeway. And I think that uh was say this might be a good way to transition into Krampus. Because,
1: yeah, because uh, and also because if you all about
0: that. Yep. And also
1: if you hate Christmas, great news. We're doing movies that kind of hate Christmas a little bit. So Yeah, or um, at best are about them. Yeah. Uh so yeah, let's you want to start talking about Krampus? Let's talk about Krampus.
0: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas
1: everywhere you Okay, five-second recap. Uh, a family does not respect the true meaning of Christmas,
0: and the true meaning of Christmas disrespects it back? So, yeah, the movie Krampus uh, is about a family, a like well-to-do family white suburban family whose cousins are visiting and uh, one of their aunts are visiting uh, over the holidays and uh, they do not get along. They're completely different people. And so they're sort of bickering and fighting. And the youngest one, Max um, tears up his letter to Santa after being embarrassed by it, um, which brings upon this like unholy wrath of this, this demon Krampus, uh, and Krampus sort of lays siege to the house, uh, abducting members as he, as he goes and tormenting them with um, different monsters, like a teddy bear monster and these, these uh, gingerbread cookie monsters and, and sort of yeah, various manifestations, uh, not really showing himself that much. Um, every time they try and be brave and go out in this like apocalyptic blizzard, uh, they are unsuccessful. And, uh, yeah, so everyone in the family has kind of been bad, so they're all subject to Krampus' whims. And as the movie goes on, um, they start to fight off Krampus, and eventually they lose to Krampus, but not before um, Max asks for everything to be back to normal. And uh, we think, you know, Krampus is just like, fuck you, and throws him into uh, a hell pit. And then he wakes up, and everything is back to normal. His family is, is you know, actually in better spirits and doesn't remember the events of the night before they uh, are sort of getting along as best they can and then he opens up a gift and he discovers a bell which is supposed to be a sort of like token from Krampus that you know remember the lessons that I've taught you and uh, yeah so the, the movie ends with them all all thinking of the lesson that they were taught to, to respect the meaning of Christmas and to be good people especially around this time of year hold on is that what you took away from the ending? What about yeah. what happens right afterwards? It's just Krampus watching over, like, all these little families in snow globes. Huh. Well, I took Did you inter- interpret it as them being in some, Tri- like, eternal hellscape? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's not the way I interpreted it, but, I mean, that's, that's a fair way to interpret it. I think it's supposed to be sort of uh, ambiguous. Um, I guess I never even saw it as ambiguous. Like...
1: Because uh, they, I thought that okay. So hold on. So we're gonna have something meaty to discuss here, I think. Uh, but let's let's wait for that because before we talk about that, uh, this is my second time seeing it. This is your first time seeing it. We both love the director's previous effort, Michael Doherty's
0: Trick or Treat, Peter. What did you think of Krampus? I liked it. I didn't love it, though. Uh, Trick or Treat is one of my favorite movies uh, the past couple year years or the past, you know, decade or two. And I think it's a pretty much a pretty much masterpiece. I, I, I absolutely love it. And uh, this was good. And I really liked what he was going for with it. Um, but it wasn't the sort of after, you know, an eight year wait, it wasn't the sort of uh, triumphant return that I wanted. Um, but I did enjoy quite a bit of it, and I really enjoyed its sort of family movie ho- as horror sensibilities. It reminded me of Joe Dante movies, particularly Gremlins, which Gremlins is an amazing Christmas movie, and it reminded me a lot of Gremlins in a lot of ways. Yeah, this
1: feels very much like an homage to 80s horror movies in general. And yeah, like Joe Dante Christmas type stuff in particular. I, I liked it, I think, then a little bit more than you. It's definitely no trick or treat. It has some problems. But, I, I mean, it's short, it has so much fun moments, it's got some great monster designs, I love the chaos it erupts to in the third act, and I love the piling on twists at the ending, so, um, I actually think my biggest problem with the movie is the beginning, so Peter, what do you want to talk about first? The beginning that I have a big problem with, or the ending that we clearly disagree on?
0: Let's talk about the ending. Okay. So I think I think while well, I'm still excited. So I interpreted it as there's this there's uh, Krampus's workshop and there's all these families and snow globes. And the way that I interpreted that is that sort of like the the um, popular image of Santa looking into a crystal ball and watching you know your family. He just has Whoa. tabs on. A-
1: what popular image of
0: Santa looking in a crystal ball at your family? says, like, and he'll look into your crystal ball and he'll see, like, that's how Santa watches you. What? You've never heard this before? I don't think, are you confusing the Wicked Witch of the West for Santa? You know,
1: popular surveillance campaign is is crucial. Yeah, but I, I don't think there's ever a mechanism that's, like, explained for how he does it, let alone... A fucking crystal ball that he wants... Because the whole point is that he just knows. Like, he has the list, he checks it twice. Like, he... Even in a story that stretches a lot of credulity, uh, the idea that he's, like, constantly surveilling through one crystal ball billions of people is... A pretty big stretch i feel like
0: would you prefer that he just like god has an omniscience that he just soaks up the image of everybody's uh households into his yeah, consciousness Because I, I that's way creepier it, it, i'm not saying it's
1: not creepy but i do think there's supposed to be like just a, a general did you send me a message yeah we've never done this before <laughs> you said okay um i
0: don't even know how to get that while i'm doing this um <laughs> the joy you sent me the joy of santa claus there was just some, a result that popped up. It was in in text that Santa looks into a crystal ball.
1: But th- that he's looking into presents. I'm going to write fuck you. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> the- <laughs> he's looking at it. He's literally looking at a, a picture of like a little family homestead. Well, he's no, you to see who's children. This is are a being picture of nice.
1: Santa's face covered by presents. What Wait, are you looking did you at? You click on the link. No, I just I saw the picture. Images you that have you... have to saw. click on the link. What, you, what I'm not going to click on the link. We're in the middle of recording. I don't want to mess up all the stuff. You're playing with fire. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> okay, so Santa looks into his... Anyways, so the, the myth is that Santa looks into his crystal That's ball. not... No, insert, no, no, no. I'll not insert, a myth. Not a myth. Never part of the story. the song right here when I find it. Hey, it's getting late. And I've got these letters to deliver. And you better be getting home, too. And remember behave yourselves because Santa can still look into his magic snowball and see just what you're up to and now that you know all about him you can be darn sure that comes snow or high water Santa Claus is coming to town you better watch anyways Santa looks into his crystal ball and he sees whether you're naughty or nice no or that's like his means of surveillance this is and insane that you th- I've never
1: I've never even heard someone Oh, wait, Santa's crystal ball. <laughs> well, okay, I've never. Again, I've seen it's tons fine. of Christmas stuff. It's it, no, a, this it's is just one pro- of the big Christmas This songs. is a product that you can buy. So, is that what this is? Santa's no, magic, your a... knife's crystal ball. I've never heard of this before. It's in like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer or something. It's absolutely I'll find not this up. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. It's Some... in one of the
0: classics. No
1: features santa's crystal ball i don't find a song santa claus is coming to town let's look at the lyrics <laughs> that came up when i searched it i've just never heard this this is blowing my mind that you have interpreted the ending of this film based on an element of santa's mythos that as far as i can tell doesn't exist besides uh, yeah, it's, a, it's- a cheap product
0: uh, anyway, so my point is that he's using these these snow globes, these crystal balls as these, these observation points to watch all these families. Okay, so
1: we've really interpreted the ending differently. So, before I give you my interpretation, this last thing I'll say about the fucking crystal ball... Um, in in the Santa Claus is coming Down lyrics, it's just he sees when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So it'll be good, for goodness sakes. That is the only surveillance uh, reference to the song. There's nothing about and he looks at his crystal ball to watch you all the time.
0: You know what? I'm gonna find this shit and I'm gonna insert it. And you're gonna be so embarrassed, dude. You're gonna get dunked on I, I, so bad in this edit. I don't. You're Anyways, so I think everyone assume, listening to this is going to be mythology. as perplexed as I am. That's what I'm. Yeah, not, let's, I'm all right. let's just assume that. Okay, Krampus is either using this
1: as all right. Let's 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 forget let's for about this. the crystal ball because my my interpretation of the ending does not interpret the crystal ball. So here, here's what I think happened at the ending. So I get your interpretation. <laughs> um, who knew this was going to turn into our next Dark City episode? <laughs> um, I I think it is just. And why I like it, it is tw- it is like a almost never-ending series of twists at the ending. I don't think that Krampus shows mercy. So at first, obviously, so everyone else in the family has been thrown into this pit because Krampus has been not killing anyone, but essentially abducting them. You don't really see anyone die on screen, but they are taken away there's some implication that they might be dying, but at some point you kind of figure out, okay, we've, we have yet to see anyone die on screen. Is that because it's a PG-13 movie or is there is there going to be something that comes around? So you have a situation where the kid, the final kid, the kid that made the wish that caused Krampus to come because he, he basically said he didn't believe in Christmas anymore. He confronts Krampus and says... Please, I want my family back. I didn't mean to make this wish. Give it back. So you have a twist then where it looks like Krampus is believing him. And he takes his gross fingernail and grabs a tear out of the kid's face. And it's like, okay, it's going to be that type of Christmas movie with a heartwarming ending where this horror ends and everything is going to be fine. Then Krampus starts laughing. And he's laughing and laughing. You're like, oh, holy shit. This he's not. This is gonna be the end of the movie, and he's gonna have no mercy. That's a way better ending. He throws the kid in the hell pit, and then the kid wakes up and he's like, Oh, okay. Uh, I guess I guess everything is fine. And then they realize that something's off. They get the the little token, and then I think they're just basically like, How else would you show like a, a hell? They're they're all his like people that i don't think it's that they um these are families that stood up to him i just think these are the families that he took and when the kid came to demand to ask for mercy the end result is that okay you don't want to be part of the savior thing you're stuck in in the hell dimension that i take families to because we know that he takes families so if he's taking families then those snow globes are Probably where they're going because we see thousands of them and we know for a fact based on the movie that he takes families because uh, the grandma in the movie's family was taken as a result of Krampus. So I think they're showing you where those families go.
0: I mean, like, yeah, that's definitely a fair interpretation to make, but I don't like the movie as much from that angle. I like I don't think the movie jives the, the the sort of family touches of this movie. It doesn't jive as well with me to have no redemption at the end. Like, yeah, like it's a more nihilistic touch. And it's like it's like I would probably want that out of a rated R. You know, movie that's actually talking to adults instead of talking to kids. But like, I don't think this is talking to kids. The only reason this is like a PG thirteen movie that was made for families. Like, this movie is not specifically for adults. This movie is for families. You know why it was rated PG thirteen though, right? Research, yeah, but Peter, it was because that was the way that they got them. They got the budget. Yeah, but that's before he even shot. A frame That does not mean the movie has not represented its PG-13 rating. That doesn't mean it's an R movie that they cut out a bunch of gore. But there's tons of PG-13 horror movies
1: that aren't, like, meant for families. I don't think there's anything in this movie that's meant for families.
0: The gingerbread monsters and the killer toys and all that shit is especially just, like, a particularly scary version of something that's for like a family in the sense that like gremlins is gremlins is way creepier than you remember i think
1: yeah but there was no pg i mean that movie inspired like that movie was almost explicitly deemed hey pg people take families to and this is not for families i
0: mean it, it is one of the two movies that inspired the pg 13 Rating. It's still like for a family. Not necessarily for young kids, but it's for a, you know, a 10 to, you know, parent age family. In your interpretation, then who's in all the other snow globe? He's watching other families to make sure that they're, you know, adhering by his belief. Okay, so what happens to they're the holding sacred Christmas? So we know he takes families. What happens to those families? They go to the hell pit. There's no part of the mythology that says that he puts them through some sort of groundhog day hellscape where they repeat the day over and over again. Well, I, who knows if they repeat the day over and over again, but... Oh, that was the scariest part of it for me if I was thinking about it from that interpretation. I just think they realize that he's that,
1: he's, that they're they're in his hell. So you think there is, like, an unseen pit that the families are going to? Why? But he, he doesn't watch over families. He That's what Santa does. He responds to families that have rejected Christmas. He's not checking to see.
0: It's not like the... If he doesn't watch over them in any regard, how does he... Does Santa send him, like, a memo?
1: Well, it's just that kind of magical thing where he gets information like you know what i mean I, I don't know the mechanism for how he found out that someone rejected christmas but i don't think he's watching over all of them cuz that would mean well, every th- that would mean every family's in there cuz that family wasn't in there before they rejected christmas so that would mean every every
0: family in the world's in a snow globe or families at risk he might select families that he be, he wants to watch out for i don't feel like you're on much solid ground here peter i'm going to not gonna- I don't think you're on any any more solid ground than i am I disagree. Um, I think that that's an incredibly, incredibly pushy way to engage with a clearly ambiguous ending.
1: I get it. You saw a movie and and were like, oh, what an ambiguous ending. I guess I did not see an ambiguous ending at all. So I'm sorry if I'm coming across as dismissive. Yeah, let's just move on. That's a perfect thing to say in an episode we discussed fake apologies. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm really not trying to come, but I, yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm surprised that that, uh, that that is your interpretation because it did not seem ambiguous to me.
0: Genuinely thought that the, uh, the only way the movie works is if it has a redemptive arc at the end for me. I think that it would be far too, far, far too cruel to have the family stuck in some sort of hellscape at the end. See, and I don't, I don't
1: like the... The, when I thought it was going to have a redemptive arc, which is a trick they played twice, which is what one thing I really liked about it, that they basically give you four twists. Like, the family's going to be safe. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Nope, they're not. Uh, which I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I don't think – re- I think the movie's pretty cruel – and I don't think a redemptive
0: arc works for me in this movie. I think that the movie is cruel at its beginning because it needs to show you that these are people worthy of some sort of punishment. And and worthy is a tough term because nobody really deserves to be uh, eaten alive by monsters in their home, except for if you're an actual monster. But sort of the arbitrariness of of punishment that happens in most horror movies
1: yeah this is this is kind of funny this is a movie that we both liked and have uh, have completely different reasons of what we liked and disliked so this is gonna be fun i think this is gonna be uh more contentious than we planned but you know we we haven't had one of those in a while peter i'm psyched yeah hasn't this was not one i expected no uh especially because we both like it but man we have seen different movies and we really like uh
0: Michael Dougherty to begin with, so I'll, I think he's kind of this kind of stinks that his next move is to maybe direct Godzilla 2. Oh, like, see, I'm psyched about that. Like, I don't. That's not what I. I want him to keep making movies at this level. Like, I, I, I so don't d- like the idea of just a horror that gra- yeah, horror filmmakers graduating on and then never coming back to the genre. Uh,
1: yeah, that that bums me out. But on the same note, he, I, I also didn't like that he spent eight years kind of in the wilderness because Trick or Treat was kind of a cult hit that really didn't do anything um it was saved by on video yeah
0: and not even saved
1: i think that if godzilla will probably be a hit and and give him the opportunity to do other stuff but you're right like i would i would support him never stopping doing holiday related uh horror movies uh just just keep doing one for every holiday i'd be fine because i think i think he has a very interesting sensibility where he's not doing gritty horror and he's not doing full scary movie. It's like a full scary horror. It's so hard to describe. It's like a weird throwback, practical effects, uh, mystical, uh, fantastical version of horror. It's like, it's like if, and I think there's a bold trick-or-treating Krampus. It's like if Jim Henson came back and didn't try to make Muppet horror movies like you, maybe The Dark Crystal, you could argue, is, but but tried to make just horror movies with his own sensibilities. It's just so separate from everything else that's going on right now.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that his approach is different than other filmmakers, whereas a lot of filmmakers went more like down and gritty and like grounded. Um, like Ty West. Yeah. It was more of like his stylistic flourishes are not so much like snappy editing or anything. Like his approach was uh, the term is mumble gore a riff off of the mumblecore uh guys uh it's like slowed down like the dialogue is very natural like in uh michael doherty movies he sort of has this like uh heightened uh comic appeal to a lot of the proceedings and yeah it's sort of like fantastical effects like he's not really interested in having like gritty grimy serial killer who like you know like a Saw type movie He would never make Something like that He likes the idea of like Strange fantastical monsters
1: And he's yeah. and he's not afraid To be goofy and, and not goofy in a way That takes away From the horror But he's not He's not afraid To be cartoonish And silly And I think a lot of Horror movie directors are Because they're worried That once they go down That path Then it's then it's just going to be a parody or horror comedy or anything like that. Like, I don't think that I would call either of these really horror comedies, but they're not afraid to be silly.
0: And it it sort of reminds me of at times reminds me of Guillermo del Toro, like how he loves to make these like fantasy horror movies where he sort of lovingly crafts these monsters. Um, But it's it's got a completely different comic sensibility and it's not gothic, really. It's it's um it's more like modernized fantasy. Yeah, and, and I, I, I that's... guess the Jim Henson thing is is kind of close. Like a Dark Crystal or a Labyrinth is closer to his sensibility than say like Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, and Joe Dante's a really obvious comparison too. Like I've heard,
1: I've heard movies like The Howling called comedies, Gremlins called a comedy. I don't think I actually don't think either of those movies are comedy. I think they are supposed to be scary. They're just again. It's it's horror that's not afraid to be goofy and silly, um, and I think Joe Dante really did a good job of that. Um, I haven't seen Piranha yet, but I've heard that also described as a comedy and also described as a horror movie, and I've heard the same thing about Trick or Treat and Krampus, so I think when you're not calling something a horror comedy, but people define it in equal terms as this genre of horror and this genre of comedy that's when you've kind of hit
0: this weird sweet spot that essentially doesn't exist that often. Yeah. And uh, where, because sometimes horror comedies are used the comedy just to mock the whole genre, which is not something I'm really a fan of.
1: Yeah, or or like, yeah, make comments on like Tucker, Tucker and Dale versus evil, Cabin in the Woods, Scream. I think those are legitimately horror comedies. They're trying to not just be scary, but they're also like, making jokes specifically designed to underline certain tropes in the genre. Those gingerbread men are not supposed to be funny in the sense that they're not supposed to be a serious threat. They're funny in the sense that they're gingerbread men. And I don't think the gingerbread men actually succeed in this movie, but I think that's the difference, I guess.
0: I think the gingerbread men are really where... It, this convinced me that the guy was going for, that, um, my, that Dougherty was going for a sort of a Gremlins approach. Because that's a very Gremlinsy thing to have, like, these uh, ostensibly cute monsters that have been sort of, like, twisted and melted into this, like gross version of them and now they're incredibly vicious and this movie has a lot of other movie uh, other movies dna in it particularly christmas vacation and the gremlins dna and that the, the little gingerbread men i don't think work as a horror effect particularly because they're cgi i would have preferred that might have bumped a lot of the budget to take out cgi effects but um because this movie was successful it made 60 million dollars yeah, on a 50, 15 million dollar budget and the movie Looked really good for $15 million. And people think that it got screwed because the reviews are
1: positive. Like, in general, they're positive reviews. But uh, Universal got scared and decided to not release it to critics. Where if they had... Re- like, I, I actually read um, one reviewer saying that was a shame because it probably would have made way more money if because, I mean, essentially, if you don't release your movie to reviews, people assume it's bad. So and your first weekend is your best bang for your buck. So that that was a really misstep that they basically watched this and said, because it's so rare. They don't really they release terrible movies to to reviewers all the time. Like, why did they keep
0: this from them? Because they know it won't... Because with a lot of movies, they know it won't hurt them because the people that are going to go see the movie, it, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. uh, Especially like with how much the Chinese audience matters for a lot of these movies. But this movie is... The reviews matter because horror people are a very specific uh, audience and they tend to read reviews and they take like endorsements from their favorite reviewers very highly. Yeah. Like, even if they had just sent rev- review copies like... Built up more of a a word of mouth, and it could have been really huge. I imagine this is a movie that'll pick up like pick up on DVD really well, and it'll, it'll probably sell really well on DVD this Christmas because I think this Christmas people will actually be talking about it. Yeah, and I don't think it helps that there's some weird
1: other movie that named Krampus it's from like 2013 that keeps popping up. It's like a straight yeah, that uh... pissed me
0: off a lot. I was trying to find this movie on VOD because originally we thought like this was coming to VOD. Um, And it wasn't. So the the 2013 one directly confused audiences, I think, which sucks. Yeah, especially if they're trying to catch up with it Uh, now. So
1: let's circle back to something you said about the the first 15 minutes being a direct, almost almost a direct Christmas vacation. Like with David Koechner uh, being uh, almost an exact stand in for uh, Randy Quaid's family.
0: a Randy's Quaid family. But if they had money, I think. Cause he has like a Humvee and shit, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, so, they yeah. Humvee, but but they also have financial problems. I don't know.
1: Yeah, because if you buy a Humvee, you clearly don't know how to allocate your funds correctly.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: not true. surprising. That's the part of the movie that really doesn't work for me. I am not sure, and I'm I'm honestly not sure. Maybe you can shed some light on it. Um, if the beginning is supposed to be like a subversion of the Christmas vacation holiday dynamics, or it's just trying to. Crib off it Like it's trying to say Look I need to establish The f- Familial relationship Really quickly And so the best way To do that Is just to take this thing That everyone knows Copy it easily But I think The, f- the, the first 20 minutes Is really what Brings this movie down To my estimation. Once it gets going it gets really, really good, but the jokes aren't funny. The satirical points that it's trying to make—calling it a blunt instrument—is a insult to blunt instruments. It is—it is trying to cram so much stuff into a short period of time that every part of it feels super forced to get to the point. So, uh, when I first watched this movie, I was—I remember thinking, "Oh my god, this is terrible." Then once, once the blizzard hits. Everything gets really good, but I don't think trying to force that dynamic really pays off all that much in the dynamics. Because yeah, there is a little bit of Adam Scott's and David Keshner's character like having some mutual respect, and everyone kind of calms down a little bit. Maybe it's not worth fighting when there's this uh, apocalyptic blizzard going on, but like that could have happened with other ways too. The last third is just complete nuts so chaos that. They're coming together, they're slight bonding over, hey, guns are okay, and being a Boy Scout are okay. Like, I didn't feel like those arcs paid off in any discernible way, that it just felt like, I don't have time to establish a tone between these two families, so I'm going to do a Crib Notes version of Christmas Vacation, and then... That'll get us to the point that I'm
0: actually interested in. Pretty, uh, quite a bit, actually. That the early part of the movie... Yay! I, I fucking love the cast. Oh, I do it. too. Um, it's really Adam good. Adam Scott, Tony Collette, uh, David Koechner, Allison Tolman is really great, Yeah, too.
1: right off of Fargo, too.
0: Yeah, pretty pretty fantastic casting. And I think that nobody does a bad job. I just think that the casting makes you expect that this is going to be like a fully formed family relation set of family relationships and people are going to have like complicated feelings about each other but it's not really it's just kind of like they're the the conservative rednecks and you know that that just tout diatribes about guns rights and then um you know you think that that the um the stuffy more like i guess liberal suburban family that's like our identification family eventually you're gonna see like oh their stuffiness like that just was you know unjustified like they should have been a little bit more open-minded but no it doesn't really go either way like it doesn't really like prove to me they should have been less stuffy because like their extended family does suck a lot (laughs) yeah There's one moment late in the movie where David Kachner was like, I thought you got taken by sugar plum fairies. And I was like, "Okay, so that's like that's like the movie trying to soften him and make him like sweeter. And that happens like the last five minutes. But like, I just I, I agree. There's just the arcs don't really pay off. No. In any in any way that really is satisfying. You don't know why he came around on the family. Well, and also
1: like you have like the aunt there and it's like, okay. So now the aunt's not being a dick to everyone. Great. Like, there's no... Especially, I mean, with my reading of the ending, where they all kind of end up in hell anyways, it's not like they learn to be better people. I just... I, I, And even if they did learn to be better people, uh, there's nothing there that really... Besides just, oh, now a tragedy's happening, there's no, like, specific story point that the script crafts to, like, teach the aunt something like oh this is foreshadowing for how she is and then you have this thing that happens and then that directly relates to why she was shitty in the beginning like that's how you structure a story that's supposed to have some sort of redemptive arc and say you just have she's kind of shitty and then bad things happen so she's too
0: scared to be shitty and then she dies the moments are there where you're like they come to you know uh respect each other and even like each other by the end and that's why i interpret the ending as being like a positive redemptive arc is that like the moments are there they're not earned moments i think we could agree on that but i think the moments are there to show that they've had growth and like to me if like the ending isn't positive then those moments of growth are just completely pointless like they might as well be arguing at the end too i wish that they had just made both of us believe that these people are actually changing for the better
1: See that's why I wasn't sure if this was supposed to be a subversion of the Christmas va- vacation dynamics because it seems so wooden and like when I say it's not to call it a blunt instrument of all the different things they were trying to get across is yeah it's it's worse than that it is so let in my wife watched this with me this time and I she ended up sort of liking it. But she was just like eye rolling her way through the first 20 minutes. And I don't blame her because I was the first time too. It's not funny. It's not smart. It's not clever. If it's supposed to be a parody, it doesn't work. And it doesn't, you didn't, you didn't need to crank it up to this level to make everything else work. Like they could just maybe not like each other. Like, and they're, you know. You, there's not enough time to establish all these crazy things that are going on or for them to pay off. So why why did you take their ridiculous behavior towards each other up to 11 when you never really needed it to go that high for the small bit of I guess we shouldn't be dicks to each other that ends up resulting from it. It just it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to the point like I said that's why I wasn't even sure is this supposed to be a slight parody of this dynamic
0: because... I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so either, but... I think th- it's like, what if exactly in Christmas Vacation, all of a sudden, they had to fight off a monster?
1: Yeah. And also, the the part that really kind of strains, like, no one... She is reading that letter that just says progressively worse things about everyone in the family. No one stops her. Like, the dad is sitting there like he is also afraid of getting beaten up. It's so weird that they let her read the entire letter. It's... I get they needed to get that letter out there because that is the uh that is the impetus of what comes next is that that letter gets torn up and so Krampus uh comes in to satisfy the now uh negated Christmas positive Christmas wish but it's just like someone would have stopped that
0: yeah I I agree I think conceptually If that's supposed to be, like, the moment when the movie pivots on, when he's the last one holding the Christmas spirit together and he gives up. But that's, like, not really what Krampus is. Like, Krampus is an anti-Santa, but he's, like, there to punish evil kids, not so much. Santa rewards good kids, and then he gives you a lump of coal. It's not a negative punishment, it's like a... As presented in this movie, I, like, this, you know, who cares
1: about its fidelity to the original myth- Source material, but...
0: I agree, uh, but they can't figure out which version of Krampus they're going with, is my point. Well, the
1: punishment, though, seems actually pretty consistent. Is that the person who gives up on Christmas is his punishment is the good things he had in his life, or in their life, is taken away from So basically, it's, it's it's the opposite, because in Christmas, you are happy with your family and the good things in your life, and you get more stuff as a result. You get presents. And the inverse of that is you're unhappy with the stuff in your life and the people in your life and so stuff gets taken away from you.
0: it's a it's a different sort of take on what krampus is but i don't think that they even nailed along with character dynamics and how they progress through the movie i don't think they quite nailed what krampus's ultimate goal is and like they, i get the moment that he's unleashed but like his goal is to scare them all into having proper respect for christmas and then you know the only person that gets to live the t- tell the tale is like the youngest person there she's not even the baby gets taken too <laughs> having the yeah. baby there is a weird choice yeah that's always tough to watch it just seems kind of useless cuz it's like the movie's not mean enough to really kill the baby but the baby does get put in peril so it's just like what what's what do we, what oh, do, man, we
1: do here I, man i think the movie is way meaner than you think it is um and i like it for it but i think having the baby in there is like that it gets taken And then, like, obviously you don't see anyone killed...
0: But yeah, it's I think it's a super, super mean movie. Well, the beginning of the movie is is I think implies that it's gonna be way meaner than it is. Because the beginning of the movie is just like this this uh slow motion sequence of Black Friday shopping, and I've no idea what it has
1: I fu- to do with the rest I, yeah, of the movie. I fucking hate that sequence too.
0: I What is, what
1: is it? I like think what? it is a mission statement, but I think it's as inelegant as the first twenty minutes of this movie. That, again, that's why I think the movie is very mean-spirited. And I think the attempt to show, like, look, this is what fucking Christmas is to everyone. They just care about their presents. They'll trample people. And we're going to show this. And, like, babies crying in front of Santa. It's... Yeah, it's it's terrible. It is the worst sort of, like, um, commercialization has, like, ruined Christmas message. Like, I, I know people think that. And that's fine if you think that. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. But the only thing, like, more annoying than people complaining that they can't say Christmas anymore to me is people complaining about the commercialization of Christmas. It's it's just part of the, like, people are going to say happy holidays. People are going to buy presents. They're going to look for deals. This this yearly dance we do where we huff and puff that that's the case. You know, if you don't like it, don't be like that. Say Merry Christmas to people. Don't go wait in line. I, I've never gone Black Friday shopping. It sounds like torture to me. If you want to wait in line to get a TV for 50 bucks, more power to you. That sounds insane to me, but I don't need to go and sit and pace around in my room going, this is just
0: ruining. My holiday. I mostly get, I get the railing against Black Friday for a few reasons, but one of which is that that means that now retailers have to be open and people have to like take yeah. time away from Thanksgiving dinner to go get a f- fucking TV. I get it on that level. Well, they don't have to. It is shitty that they make people work. Yeah. Making people work really, really sucks. And and like I work at a retailer. Like I know that like people work shitty hours just Thanksgiving week purely because of these these getting these deals out and then those aren't even the people that are actually in the store like i know how this works but the whenever i hear people like railing against like yeah railing against the commercialization of christmas i'm like yes you have a good point like it's sort of the you're right but do you have to be an asshole about it in yeah. a lot of cases where it's like your condescension isn't converting anybody and i honestly do doubt your sincerity yeah so this that's a dumb opening sequence but i i think it and then there's also a nativity scene in the middle of a walmart like what the fuck is going on yeah that's a terrible
1: opening sequence do
0: you have that in minnesota nativity scenes in walmart
1: yeah i don't know do you have it in illinois
0: we don't have that here i wouldn't notice it because it means nothing to me oh uh, <laughs> it's, it's so weird they do this whole black friday thing and then it, it oh yeah it into, i know i know what you're talking about it moves into the nativity scene where max is is fighting the other person in the nativity scene all of this movie's attempts at allegory or satire or a political
1: point are terrible because i think that's the dynamic in the beginning between the families as well Is like he's a liberal he's a crazy conservative Can they have a meal together without talking about guns? And no, they can't. And he's such a crazy conservative that, like, he is rejecting his daughters and pretending they're boys, which um, I don't know. like the movie just it doesn't commit to its I I think I, I think a version of it could be good with the idea of maybe parroting just conservatives, maybe parroting liberals and conservatives, but it doesn't have any teeth to it and it doesn't... It's so toothless. Yeah, and it doesn't go that long and it's not making any clever observations. All of the observations are, like, surface level, if you, you know, read... If you skimmed one issue of The Nation from eight years ago. Like, you know, that's
0: that's kind of where it's at. So it's... All of it sucks from that perspective. The movie really, really spent its first 30, 40 minutes like establishing who these people are and then beating the shit out of liberal and conservative personas around the holidays. Like, People losing sight of why the fuck you drove halfway across the yeah. country to be with each other. Like people lose. Like if you if Ruby really beat the shit out of these people for that, I'd be fine with it. But instead, it's like people not understanding basic social cues within three yeah. seconds yeah. of meeting. Like, and and it gives a yeah, and it gives a very half-hearted like
1: answer to that when Adam Scott is talking to his son is like, you know, maybe the fact that it's really tough to put up with these people. And you're forced to make an effort is the meaning of Christmas. And then that thread is kind of dropped because, again, like most normal people, when their uh, family members are disappearing and the apocalypse, as far as they know, is upon them, they stop it. (laughs) So it's not even like a there's no lessons to be learned. Anyways. So that's the stuff that really doesn't work for me. What, what does work for me is the majority of the rest of the movie when they drop all that shit and just have like a normal uh, movie with uh, people of different backgrounds, for the most part, uh, trapped in a bunker together while they one by one uh, succumb to the terror that has beset them. Uh, and this this whole thing is introduced in my absolute favorite scene Uh, of the movie of like showing this movie shows scale really well. And that scene where their daughter is walking to the house and first encounters Krampus literally sends chills down my spine. When you see him on the house, not moving and then he's hopping from house to house uh, in the blizzard, uh, the special effects look fantastic. And it really, I mean, it is so well done that there is this, Twelve foot monster leaping from house to house.
0: It is it's fantastic. That's a great application of the CGI in the movie because it's just a figure sort of moving in the shadows. And then when they have the close up shot of the of Krampus standing by the truck, it's dude in a suit. When when they have to show the hooves up up close, it's uh, actual like you know yeah a costume which is amazing yeah i agree that that's a tremendous intro to that character i was very confused when they intro that character and then you don't get to see him till the end like the sort of connection between krampus and his minions is was a little confusing because they wait a while before they have the backstory with the grandma Mm -hmm. there's a there's a freaking claymation backstory yeah i love i love that that's it's really gorgeous looking and probably they cut Some of the corners that they cut to get it done on time were really work for it. Like the fact that nobody is a full fledged model except for the grandma as a small, small kid. Yeah. Uh, Everybody is just these like sort of like thin cutouts and it's, it's got a really nice Charlie Brown effect where you identify with the kids more because the parents are so alien and strange.
1: Yeah. That is a, that is a kind of a, and it's a kind of a fun surprise. Like, oh. This movie is not afraid to do uh, things that you're not expecting it to do,
0: and yeah, that's that's a that's a really it's a really great sequence. That's sort of a that's sort of becoming a weird tradition I've noticed in a couple different um couple different Christmas movies and such. Like the it's always sunny Christmas special. Oh yeah, I don't know, it's like 45, 50 minutes. They have that really great claymation riff with uh, Frank getting just destroyed by uh, the gang. Yeah. I think it's sort of a thing. And like there's the community I, one, too, that did the whole... Oh, yeah, with Abed, yeah. Abed's, like, sort of fantasy that he's escaping into. Like, I think people have a, a fondness for the old claymation style, and I think that this movie's tapping into that, but it's not just emulating, like, the Rudolph style. It's doing its it, own sort it's of... It's doing, like, the core line version. Yes, of I right? was going to say. Yeah. Looks just like a Coraline thing. It's it, it's more fitting to the to the whole of the movie. Yeah, it's 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 a really great
1: way to tell the story in the middle of like what's going on because this movie does kind of hold its uh, cards close to its chest uh, about what is going on with Krampus. Uh, I actually want to back up for a second though because you are right that the other big misstep of this movie is that Krampus kind of then disappears because. No, I'm glad they didn't save him to the end. I'm glad you get that peak in that fantastic scene. But I suppose instead of just having like a Krampus beset the family and attack the family for a long time, they decided to add these other monsters, these little like troll type monsters, these the the gingerbread cookies, and then my favorite, which is the Jack in the Box Sarlacc, which is just fucking amazing design. But the problem, I think, comes where where some of the message of the movie gets muddy, and that may be why we are seeing different things, because you're right if the whole point of Krampus is he is taking away where Santa's giving, why are they being tortured by his little minions for... A good 45 minutes of this movie i think it's just because they didn't want to. they either didn't have the budget or they didn't want to just have they didn't want krampus to lose his effect so they they needed to put something else as the horror uh but i can also see why that muddles the message because why is he just fucking around with them with
0: magic gingerbread for a while yeah, he, he, I think I get that he sort of, like, enjoys the torment. I, I guess, like, that's why he has, like, the little guys that are clearly inferior. And he basically has an elf army that can come take them whenever they want. The yeah. elf army is really creepy looking. All yeah. the masks are really creepy. But he, I think they use the little guys so that they can delve more into, like, gremlins and Joe Dante riffs, because they can have these, like, little goofy sort of funny creatures bouncing off the walls and, you know, it's funny to see a grown adult get overpowered by something little like Joe Dante also did that with, he did, um, small soldiers. He did small soldiers, right? Like watching a, a a grown adult get overpowered by like a toy is, or a gingerbread man is, 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 like inherently funny. But like, if I think that they would have found just having Krampus come in and just beat the shit out of people with his, I think that they would have found that too oppressive like in the way that a Halloween movie would be. And I think they were going for something more fun with this. See, I think
1: that they just didn't want to... Let's let's assume budget was not a reason. I think they wanted Krampus to be unstoppable. And if they had Krampus constantly trying to get into the family and the family stopping them until at the end they overpower them, it takes away from the power of their big bad. So they didn't want to delay krampus because he's not familiar enough with the audience to we don't need to show our big bad till the end uh so they needed to have the sequence early on so that people understood what he was the scale of it and what threat they were up against but then they wanted creatures that could be defeated so that there was horror that wasn't coming from their their ace in the hole that's that's the way I kind of read why there's all these other monsters attacking. And a lot of that I like because it does just turn into this completely chaotic mess. Um, it's just everyone is getting attacked by different toys or Christmas cookies. I mean, you name it. Or the elves. It's just every, every single person is dealing with their own thing. They're getting injured. People are getting stabbed in the back. Uh, the dog is having is disappearing, maybe getting eaten by Jack in the Box. It's like this never ending maelstrom of chaos. It's goofy and humorous in its escalating terror. They're not they're not facing one threat at a time. It's everything at once, and it just keeps going on. And it keeps get escalating. And the second they've dispelled threats, now there's elves breaking in, and uh, it's like 30 minutes of it. And I, I really I really like it, but it doesn't connect well to the rest of the movie. I like it as its own thing, but it makes if if you you're right. If you look at
0: it like, why is Krampus doing this? I think it's more just they wanted to save Krampus. I think it's a combo of things. They wanted to save Krampus. And I think they wanted to have a little bit more novelty in the attacks. And I guess having a bunch of smaller enemies makes it more fun to watch the whole family sort of like yeah. have to work together or have their own little individual mini stories. There's a reason that that they save the queen for the end of Aliens. Yep. Right. Like they they didn't throw the queen out when there were still like 20 Marines on screen. <laughs>
1: and see i actually i think the first time i watched this i wasn't as cognizant that they weren't killing anyone on screen
0: i was because i still saw this i still see this as like a family movie i see it as like a mean family movie but uh one that i knew that at the end there would be some comeuppets between the kid krampus and he needed to save his family like his family needed to be savable in some aspect yeah or at least think that they were savable. Like, if, the, if everybody got wiped out but him at the end and was actually murdered, then what would he ask for at the end? Like, it doesn't...
1: I don't think I noticed till they took the baby. Because that's when you're like, well, they're not going to... Like, they don't kill infants in rated R horror movies all that often. Especially so uh, in such a blasé way. Where it's just, oh, that baby's gone now.
0: I think the baby was killed in Hills of Eyes remake, maybe. I'm trying to think of, like... I've seen that. Is, like examples where the baby is like straight up murdered but it's usually a big deal like this is just like sip baby's gone now yeah it's true the baby's just taken and that's why cac dives on the the sleigh to fly out it's weird to see all these sort of events unfold and not really know their like import like where people are like if we saw like flashes of beth being held in like krampus's jail bag thing that he's keeping the rest of them in um it would make more sense uh, in the original myth, Krampus keeps kids in this like wicker basket on his back and whips them as he walks. That'd be a um, different movie. That'd be a very different movie. <laughs> um, the Krampus design is, is really lovely in this. We've oh, talked yeah. about it. Once they finally reveal the practical effect, the, the man or men in suits, it's probably got a horse effect, right? Where there's like one dude in the front and one dude in the back. Uh, yeah, definitely. Cause it's cute. And he's got <laughs> Krampus. What are you giggling about? I don't know. That whole exchange was pretty silly. Yeah. Because it's a huge guy. It's uh it's a huge guy. Krampus has his creepy mask on, I believe. Yeah. So we don't really see like what he looks like under the under the shell. And I think that that's when the movie's most impressive when it's just having people face off against monsters and you can sort of like just see them as like I like Adam Scott. I like David Koechner. Yeah. This movie probably fails the test. The Ebert test, where it's like, would you rather watch the movie or watch all these people talk in a room for 90 minutes? That'd be a what? tough call.
1: Um, I mean, there's yeah. already a podcast where I get to hear Adam Scott just talk about things for 90 minutes.
0: That's true. And I'm sure David <laughs> Koechner has been on other Earwolf shit, so... Wait, hold on.
1: <laughs> Sorry to back up again. You thought that Krampus was wearing a mask? I thought he was just kind of like a
0: skeleton face. No, I think he's supposed to be wearing like a mask thing. Like, it's so not moving. Maybe it's supposed to be a skeleton. I thought like a, a zombie. wouldn't move. She got the jaw, and that's about it. Huh? Yeah,
1: I didn't. I didn't think because he has eyebrows. Yeah, I thought they were just drawn on. Did we watch a completely different movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like. I, are you sure you didn't watch the the uh, 2013 version? What if or, Adam Scott or, were in both of them? <laughs> this, it's the same
0: cast. Yeah, (laughs) that's why that's why we're so confused. They got confused and they thought that they were going back for reshoots. Yeah, you
1: know, you know what, uh, you know what this movie, I think, I wonder if this at some point was supposed to be an anthology movie, because now that I'm thinking about it, the toys attack the family is like its own little movie. The Krampus stuff is like its own little movie. And then the the beginning part, I guess, could be its own little movie, like I don't know if it's just because his previous movie was an anthology that he kind of thinks in that terms. Or at some point, this was supposed to be three Christmas stories. But since people didn't think that Trick or Treat worked as an anthology, and they really don't make anthologies all that often. So that would probably be an easy thing for a studio to say is like people want one story that he combined all three stories into... One thing.
0: I would buy that. This movie was in production. I mean, like, it, it didn't make that long to actually make, but I think he had the idea for this for a long time after Trick or Treat.
1: Yeah, I feel like I remember hearing Wolf Farrell attached to it at some point. I couldn't it find verification, but I remember... I remember hearing about it because I never heard of Krampus um, until the league.
0: Um, I think I heard about it from that Anthony Bourdain special. There's a a really great claymation Anthony Bourdain special about Krampus. Oh, okay. It's short. It's like 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, I I remember because Taco on the league, like the first or second season, uh, was telling everyone about Krampus. And then I started, once you know a word, you start noticing it more. um, And you kind of do that thing where you're like, man... People are really talking about Krampus lately, and it's like, no, now you know what that is. So like, you perk up when you hear it. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, I knew, I knew what it, I've known it was, what it was for a while, but I think the Anthony Bourdain thing was what really blew it open because it's just kind of an interesting little counterpoint to Santa. He's yeah. supposed to be anti-Santa, and it's 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 interesting. I agree with you that this probably was an anthology, and I will even posit that this would work better as an anthology. Yeah, but like killer they give us an origin story for the killer um, gingerbread. And then they give us a um whatever that creepy, like, jack-in-the-box thing. Oh, that yeah. Could a, God, that could be it. be I love that thing. Yeah, that could be its own story. The, the way its mouth looks is so terrifying. Yeah, it's like a Sarlacc. Yeah, and then maybe Krampus sort of wraps it. Like, Krampus takes a kid at the beginning, yeah. and at the end, he takes, you know, we get a full story with him. And, and, his, we, and the grandma story could be one segment. Like, yeah. I think this would have probably worked better as an anthology. And like a trick-or-treat one,
1: where it's still connected, it has characters, so you had, like... Like, you know, you still see Krampus in the beginning, but then his story doesn't come to play with that family until later. It's another yeah. family that's attacked by his... Yeah. It's so hard to tell if it. it's just, well, he, this kind of feels like Trick or Treat, but combined into one story because he made Trick or Treat, so that's his sensibility. Uh, or if it was, like, forced away and
0: he was forced to cram it together. Like, it's, it's really hard to gauge. Anthologies can be really expensive to make because you have to have so many sets, like, Different the reason casts. this movie cost $15 million is because he had one, one cast. It was in a soundstage where they built this one house or they reused this house from something else. Yeah. They probably they probably saved a ton of money by not having this take place throughout like a whole town or at least having to fake a town. It even reuses, uh, to, to good effect, not a criticism, uh, one of my favorite
1: scares from Trick or Treat where... Uh, He looks out the door and then there's like all those jack-o'-lanterns suddenly. Brian Cox, we talked about it on our uh, horror anthology episode. And they kind of do the same thing where first there's a snowman and then there's a couple snowmen and then there's many snowmen. Where you're just using the iconography of the holiday uh, suddenly appearing uh,
0: in a kind of warped and twisted form as a uh, way to establish dread. I would have loved another one about the about elves building like snowmen and like sort of. Putting And then, like, eventually we find out, like, they're putting bodies in the snowmen to give them form yeah, and fuck. structure. We need to, like, finance a slight remake by the same director. we <laughs> just just separate your shit. They also could have done, like, smaller families and saved some money. It's like I would have loved this imaginary movie in my head. But, like, what we got, what we got is a good it's a capable effort, but it's just not. It um, feels stitched together weird. It does feel stitched together weird. And I think that the anthology call out was a great point because it's it. it He's going to he already said he wants to make a trick-or-treat too at a whole new town or a whole new, you know, set of stories and all new monsters and stuff. So like I think that's it's in his interests to to continue that sort of format. I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge him for being like everybody that liked my first movie <laughs> liked the anthology format. Yeah. Let's continue with that. Yeah, and he's he's also I mean, I can
1: even see that working with his Godzilla too, because uh, at least when uh, Gareth Edwards was attached to Godzilla 2 it was supposed to be Godzilla on Monster Island so that's that's easy enough to
0: set up with a at least quasi anthology structure as well yeah and now he knows how to work with like these big digital production houses so yeah and and uh, the, what is it what a workshop did the design yeah. for Krampus the guys who did, they did a lot of work for, you know, Lord of the Rings and a lot of major... Uh... They're big guys. But yeah, let's 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 wrap it up. Let's, I yeah, think let's wrap it up. It, like I a Christmas it... present. <laughs> let's wrap...
1: Why
0: don't you wrap it up, Aaron?
1: Accidental puns, Peter, and you're not even excited. What has happened? I like them better when I say them. Oh, I see. Um, well, you <laughs> said it, I just noticed it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just say, like, I think I like this a little more than Peter. I'm actually very surprised that we had totally different interpretations uh not because there's anything wrong with having different interpretations but i think it's rare for two movies two people that uh with a similar taste as we do to feel like we saw different movies so i'm uh i'm actually interested just in what the listeners thought um is it a redemptive arc at the end or is it a mean spirited with a heart, a mean spirited movie with a heart of coal. I like it better as a mean spirited movie. Uh, it's very episodic. Some of the episodes work better than others, uh, but you know, cast is great. It's, I, yeah, it's really good. Like I'll, I'll, I'll definitely watch this again. I, I picked it up. I bought it uh, for my rewatch, and I can't imagine uh, not watching it uh, every couple Christmases.
0: Yeah, this is not going to be an every Christmas thing. Like, every year I get excited to watch Gremlins. It's a movie that, like, members of my family will begrudgingly like. Um, And I love, love Gremlins. Um, But this... This will this will pop up every few years where I'm like, let's let's go back to that, because sometimes you just need to break up Christmas horror has it breaks up the monotony of this sort of like unbridled, untethered optimism that you get out of Christmas movies, which would be fun if the Christmas season were about two weeks. But Christmas season now is like poking into Thanksgiving and it could be like this like five week ordeal. And, like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of uh, time to devote to one holiday. Like, you can't possibly sustain that that much um, happiness and joy and optimism for, for five weeks. Unless, and if you can, like, you are a lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> this is a good way to break up the, the holidays. It's not my favorite Christmas horror movie. But, uh, yeah, I, I recommend you check it out and see if you, you liked it a little bit more than I did. Uh, it's definitely my favorite because I think it's the only one I've seen. You've got to watch the uh, Tales from the Crypt episode. Um, it's really quick and it's amazing. The Tales from the Crypt episode is basically a riff off the segment from the movie.
1: You want to hear something kind of crazy? What? From 1974 to 1983, there was not a Christmas movie released theatrically. Really? Yeah. Weird. What yeah. kicked
0: off? What kicked off the Christmas movie explosion?
1: Well, there. You know, when you actually look at the theatrical releases, there's like maybe one, two. Tops three a year Sometimes one a year Like there were definitely times where there was One every couple of years But there was nine years Without anyone thinking to release A Christmas movie
0: to theaters That's crazy it's Crazy Especially now in the modern context Like with how huge Christmas is Yeah 1974 to like
1: 1983 That's The the year I was born was 1983 That's when they're like Let's get some Christmas movies back
0: Um, Does that somehow align with a recession and people thought like blowing up Christmas was kind of like a little inconsiderate in light of, uh, you know, financial woes? I mean, that's a long stretch.
1: That's like Carter's presidency. That's um, after Nixon. That's the first three years of Reagan's presidency when, you know, uh, it was morning in America again. Like it's it's weird that there wasn't there wasn't one. I don't don't know what to make of it So when I grew up, Christmas movies and Christmas TV specials were everywhere And in the 60s they had all the Rudolph and the, you know, Rackin' and Bass stuff I wonder if there's a subset of people that hate Christmas Because apparently uh, the types of things that we ingested for, you know, constantly Were just not around anymore
0: that makes sense there's a specific there's a specific uh segment of people that were just like just either burned out or were just it wasn't beaten to them the way it was because of us because i i can guarantee that part of the reason that we love
1: christmas besides just our experience with families and getting presents is you know there is sort of a circular thing when you like these christmas movies where it's like through through the power of like movie magic where you feel stuff because you identify with the people on screen you're almost getting like an injection of the christmas spirit if you like let yourself be taken in by a lot of these movies
0: yeah exactly a lot of the rules for christmas movies is rules with every other movie for the rest of the year it's like take the journey take the dive yep like if you don't like the dive afterwards like write a review <laughs> Um yeah. yep. but try try and at least engage with the movie on its own on its own merits and its own terms. Yeah. That goes for all movies, we should say. Yep. Exactly. Um, so
1: so yeah, so thank you for joining us. This was uh this was an interesting episode. I'm tired. Next week we're doing Silent Night, Deadly Night with Marcus Jones. Uh we've both been on his podcast. Well, one of his podcasts, Marcus. You know, if you have if you have two podcasts, maybe invite us to both. It's like giving us half a
0: meal. It's sort of like when you go to somebody's house and they're like, "You're like, hey, uh, you mind if I grab a beer?" And they're like, "You can have the Miller Lite, but uh, don't take any of my good stuff." Yeah. Or it's like you can only drink the back
1: half of beers. I'm going (laughs) to drink the first six ounces, and you can have the second six
0: ounces. I don't even know which is better, crushed celluloid or JCVD. I just wanted to throw out a really, really uh, awful metaphor. So thanks, Marcus, for having us on.
1: Fuck you for not having us on. And we are so happy to have you on next week. Yep. Very, very excited. Marcus is a great dude. Uh, and then Joseph J. Finn, who's never even mentioned his podcast to us, let alone invited us on. I don't
0: think they have guests on their show. Well, they had Michael on. Yeah, they had Michael on. Yeah, yeah. That is, we have not been extended the invite at no. all. But thank you for coming back to our
1: show next week, Joseph. <laughs> this, is, what, this is like the opposite of the Christmas spirit. Where we just... Are dicks to people? Our friends? This is like Festivus. This
0: is uh, this is the airing of grievances.
1: Uh, yeah. Got a lot of problems with our podcast guests. Um, <laughs> coming up. Uh, yeah, but Joseph will be on talking about Black Christmas. And then because it will be after christmas and the last thing we'd want to do is extend this holiday any longer for those of you that hate it we're going to be doing new year's evil Uh, and some of these are going to drop a little sooner than normal because we're going to try to get them out uh
0: on or near the holidays that they actually refer to and uh have new year's evil as a sort of uh a bow on the whole holiday because i really don't think anybody would want to listen to more christmas stuff during that christmas hangover no, but wait till April for Christmas in April. <laughs> so the, I I was just thinking about that. The, the, yeah, exactly, um, not Christmas in July. Christmas in April. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christmas no, because we got might even because we're gonna do Christmas in September too. Oh yeah, obviously. I just realized that like Christmas hangover is like a perfectly fine metaphor for uh, for how you feel after Christmas is all over. Yeah, but it, in my mind, it's more like. Um, post-orgasm thing you're like, all right, well, now that I've had sex, I'm not really interested in the rest of this. Like, let's yeah. let's let's close the book on this bad boy. <laughs> yeah. like,
1: I don't need just, to see naked people anymore. It's, <laughs> it's like like at least a done, little bit.
0: Yeah, it's like when you're done with pornography, it's all, all of a sudden everything looks kind of gross and weird to you. <laughs> yeah. A lot of body parts, guys. Cover
1: it up. Some modesty. Yeah, it is true. It's the same thing with with uh, Halloween. Like, I, I I do not feel like watching a horror movie on November 1st. Maybe November 7th? But yeah, November first, it's like, why, why would I even consider this? Recovery period. Yeah, exactly. Every everything is like an orgasm, uh, like the <laughs> end, like the end of the show. Pretend that we just orgasmed, and now it's over, and we're gonna go away. See you next <laughs> week. See ya.
0: Santa Claus got stuck in my chimney, stuck in my chimney, stuck in my chimney. Santa Claus got stuck in my chimney when he came last year. Hey, folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, Facebook.com/We Love to Watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us, give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.